Howdy fellow earthlings and all you aliens out there. Benny McKay here checking in with another episode of Local Heroes Podcast. Catching up with family members for a wedding. Shout out to Kirsty and Nick. That was a, a super fun wedding up there in the rainforest at the back of Port Douglas. Had a great time. Caught up with full family. While I was up here, I managed to sneak in a little visit to my good friend, Mr. Ben J. Ben Jones is a parks ranger. Got some mad stories about his profession. Uh, also a musician and avid traveler. So... We actually recorded a podcast around Chrissy time and I just bought my new Zoom recorder at the time and it was, I was just still figuring out the recorder so I thought I hit the record button and I didn't so we essentially recorded nothing and so yeah we caught up again, we banged out this this podcast and I feel as though we captured it in all of its rawness again and it was just really good to go and have a beer and have a, have a yarn anyway. So yeah, I really enjoyed catching up with Benjay doing this podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it. Just a few shout outs to some of my listeners and, and people who have been showing me some support. Zachy Blair, cheers for cheers for the love, brass. Thanks for the support. Blair's mufflers and aluminium. Love your work, guys. Jamie Frizzo, thanks for listening in, brass. Appreciate all your support. David Lewis up in Noosa. Love you, mate, and I hope you're doing good. Hunter Mills over in Las Vegas. Dactyls, always there supporting me. And Millipede, I reckon you'll be listening on this one too. So thanks to everyone. If you you like it, give it a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your mates. All right, let's jump into it. Cheers. Gather and I tell you about a little place I'm from A place that rains and pours up in the glistening sun I set a jar near a girl and say a number I love A forest that's my home no matter how far off And even when I am away there's someone watching over me The barren river flowing me, the monster creek, the rock, the stream I know just what you're thinking, be sounds like some hippie shit to me Why don't you go and hug a tree, don't need to say they hug him Cause your toes get froze when the sun's too dim And the temperature's as cold as all the locals in Put a rudder to the southern, turn around the rim Point your course up to the north and baby, throw that shit Round two, bruh Round two So I just bought me, um new recorder last time we pressed which i thought i pressed record and we didn't end up recording it so we're here for round two probably three or four months later maybe yep. it's like middle of the year again already bro yeah 
think it was like January or some shit when I saw Must you. Must have been, eh? Or February, but time flies, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Sitting here with Benjay. So, um, all around good bloke, musician, environmentalist, t ticking a heap of boxes, man, and getting out there and getting at it, man. Welcome to Local Heroes Podcast, bruss. Cheers, bro. Thanks for having me. I'm just stoked to sit down with you again. I was just mm. up here in Port Douglas for me cousin Kirsty. Shout outs to Curdy and Nick for getting married. And I'm like, oh, I've got to catch up with Benjay again and try and get it in. So, it's a good yep. excuse to come and have shoot the shit with you, have a yarn, have a quick beer, and, and get this thing recorded. Perfect, man. What a setting for it. Out it's in the so beautiful. Valley. Yeah, it's so beautiful out here where you're living, man. It's just a unique place and beautiful rainforest. Lovely creek flowing through the back here and beautiful, man. Yeah. And this creek's been cranking at the moment. Uh, heaps of rain, creek. Hey. Yeah, mm. heaps of rain and, and extended rain. Normally this time it's sort of getting a bit drier and stuff, but we've just had enough rain to keep it ticking along, which has been nice, you know. Yeah, Sunny Coast has been getting a heap too, man. Like our water tanks have been full, which is is uncharacteristic for sort of this time of year. But yep. I think the East Coast has been copping some good rain, which is nice, you know. Yeah, finally a good wet season. Yeah, you know? some good hydration, like old school hydration, you know, like nineties good, good wet weather. Yeah, That's it. so, um, so mate, yeah, so so good to sit down with you again. I guess we'll just we'll start from the start and sort of wind the clock back. I know your principal job is uh, is National Park Ranger. Yep. So, I mean, how did it all sort of start out for you and where did you sort of kick off and, and, and where did the inspiration and, and the ball start rolling for that sort of line of work? Yeah, so I suppose it probably goes right back to, you know, school days and just thinking about what I wanted to do for my future, you know. My dad was into, you know, business and IT and stuff and I, you know, saw how he would come home pretty drained from work and... I just didn't want to go down that way, you know, and it seemed like a lot of the options for work were sort of in my, um, for my generation, eh, were really leading towards business and IT and those sorts of things, and I just didn't see myself in there. I wanted to be outdoors, but it was my biology teacher in um, in high school that really gave me the first inspiration, <clears throat> and uh, she just really uh, made me see the world in a different way, and you know, I thought originally I wanted to be like an engineer or something like that. And I thought, you know, the world needs more trees, you know, not more machines. So, yeah, that was sort of the spark of my, my path to, 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 to sort of get me to where I am now. So it took, took a long time, obviously. Um, I traveled lots. I, I studied. I did a Bachelor of Science in Ecology. And then that inevitably got me closer to being a ranger. But it, the journey still wasn't over. And I started working in Cape York, so remote areas and doing, you know, programs with indigenous rangers and uh, really just setting the scene for what has been a really interesting journey and ultimately got me a job with Parks. Mm. So you, you studied at James Cook University, is yep. that correct, up here in Cairns? In Cairns, yeah. And JCU is pretty renowned, I guess, for its environmental sort of focused... Uh, training and that sort of thing yeah definitely so world, world class sort of training i guess in that location mm -hmm. if you're interested in that kind of field because obviously we've got the barrier reef right at the front and we've got some beautiful world heritage rainforests and that sort of thing so was it a great place to sort of study and train and to learn and, and sort of get engaged in your environment definitely uh, perfect because you know it was quite a, a new uni but the townsville campus had been around for a while but yeah, they had the School of Tropical Biology. They've actually now got a branch of the Australian Tropical Herbarium, 
which is there. So lots of leading scientists in, in the fields of botany, zoology even, with uh, some marine experts that work there and an extension of the, the campus in Townsville that's got a really strong marine sciences department. Uh, and, and yeah, just basically it's a, it's a research-based uni, so they rank pretty high on the, on the world stage and some really interesting projects. Yeah, I bet, man. And I'm, I'm like, we've we discussed it a lot last time. We we're talking about sort of the feral pig sort of things, and we'll get into that a bit later. Feral cats and that type of thing. And I actually sent you a link the other day because last time we we're talking about the feral cats and trying to like identify their movements and that sort of thing. Did you did you see that one? I, I tagged no, you. No, I didn't. Oh, it's on I'm, Facebook. Oh, I just, just deleted Facebook. Man. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, good on you, man. Yeah. I actually I've had a bloody social media ban too. I got rid of Instagram and. Yep. Yeah, I just sort of got, got tired of it. But yeah, good on you for doing that. But yeah, it was actually talking about the feral cats and they've been tracking them. And yeah, I think it was like, oh, fuck, it was like a huge radius. Like their uh, radius is, is massive. Like it's something. The hunting like, range. Hunting range yeah. is massive. It's like, huge. It's something like a 100 kilometer radius or something insane, maybe. Yeah, whatever it was, it was like, holy shit, like where these feral animals are moving is insane. So yep. trying to sort of track them because there was a, a specific bird like a parrot a night parrot that they okay. were that's extinct or becoming extinct almost yeah. and yeah. they're trying to identify okay well how do we sort of control the cats and that sort of thing and mm. they've been having a hard time even trying to identify them and, and i guess you guys are involved in a lot of that sort of <coughs> programs and controlling feral animals and yep. yeah just a lot of good stuff a lot of a lot of new knowledge and new information and, and discoveries to try and improve the environment you know yep there must be a real sort of moral and, and kind of ethical sort of joy that you can you can extract from your work and from your job and get a fulfillment from that. Is, yeah, would you say that's true? Definitely, mm. um, that job satisfaction. You know, like sometimes conservation <clears throat> is really hard because you know, like you say, the the species that you're working on or researching is under threat of extinction, and and you can see the impacts. You know, and the further you dig down, the more you find out how the odds are against these animals and. And how much of a hard time they really have for survival, particularly now that we've modified the landscape so much. And so part of my job currently is sort of reviewing the applications for research on park. And what I've seen from reading a lot of the applications and, and the research that's going on, like pretty much a high percentage, and I'm going to just throw a ballpark, but I'm saying like 70 to 80 percent of the research that comes through or has something to do with climate change and you know it's it's really astounding to see yeah that that is that's on the, the tip of everyone's tongue and you know it's in the media but I don't really engage too much in the media but where I do I definitely it's at the forefront our recent election climate change was you know they were calling it the climate change election and yeah and the research is is being based on that in you know with the threat of exacerbated uh you know weather patterns and different climatic conditions how are these species going to survive so uh so many factors you know <clears throat> when when you're dealing with a species that has already got a small population and then you throw in like things like feral cats which is such good predators you know and not not native to this environment so those species haven't evolved with it and they're just so vulnerable and then you, you add in the extra factors of climate change. So it's, it, it is a catch-22. So, yeah, definitely job satisfaction. You, you, you feel that you are contributing and, and definitely being a part of that conservation movement. But 
Dis- also disheartening as well. Dis- disheartening, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. The odds are stacked up. Mm. So, yeah, it can be a bit of a depressing game. <laughs> yeah, for but, sure. Um, for you sure. just got to keep doing it. Otherwise, mm. we just turn our head the other way and we either do nothing or do something. Mm. And it's a good way to, yeah, pass the time. So, I mean, just talking about, I guess, some success. I remember we were talking about the turtle breeding sort of programs that you had a big part in sort of implementing and sort of mm-hmm. seeing out. So, I guess, you know, can you have a little bit of a chat about where I sort of started with that and sort of the development that you had with that sort of hatching program and, you know, the influences and effects that you sort of had from that, so. Yeah, definitely. So uh, one of my first jobs out of uni was was actually doing some GIS and fire scar mapping, which was a whole other um, field. And So what's GIS? Uh, sorry, mate. Uh, sorry, so that's geographical information systems So and spatial analysts. So using satellite imagery, we can, we can map fire scars in the landscape and the company I worked for, that was one of their major programs. But how it rolled about was another guy who was an ex-military fella was working up in remote parts of Cape York. And he did some surveys on the beaches with the indigenous rangers out there. And they really expressed concern to him that feral pigs were digging up the turtle eggs and, and basically annihilating the beaches that were smashing all the nests. And, you know, this was sort of documented, but there was very little work being done in, the, in that area. So there was probably one location on um, a stretch of about 700 kilometres of coastline that actually had a program running. So I was chatting with him and it was really interesting. You know, the first thing we needed to do was get access to the beaches. So we got government grants, we bought quad bikes and, and boats and set up the ranges so that they could actually access, you know, these parts of the the beaches, you know, which is so remote. One of the, mm. it's, I think Cape York is classed as the seventh most remote place in the world. So there's basically one road that runs up the guts and it's more on the eastern side and all of these communities are on the western side and very little is known about the turtle populations in that area because they're so different from most places in the world. For instance, one, they, they nest in the, in the wintertime because the sand temperatures are so hot. Most turtles nest during the summer periods, but them being a temperature-dependent, sex-determinant, which means that uh, uh, they have a, a critical point, a temperature range, that they will either become male or female, like a lot of um, reptiles, and that's around 27 degrees, 27.5. And so anything hotter than that, they will be female, and anything cooler than that, they'll be male. The species that, that nest up there are the olive ridley and flatbacks, back um the that turtle is the australian endemic it's sort of the only one that's got such a restricted range so i suppose why i say that is they're quite important you know on the on the world scale and these turtle nests were being predated by pigs and you know we we just didn't even know we didn't even know how, how many we didn't know how many nests we didn't know what the predation rate was so that was the initial project we set out to do some surveys and just do some counts and find out. And what we saw was most beaches had near 100% predation, you know. It was in the high 90s. These nests were getting decimated. And, and the, so how long do you suspect that was actually going on for before there was any kind of human correction, you know, when you guys started doing something about it? Like, how long do you reckon, like 10 years? It's or? hard to say. I would say more than 10 years, definitely. You know, I'd say my theory is, and this hasn't been proved, like tested, but... Uh, when people started to move away from the beaches and, and those uh, on-country locations, so they would move back to the community, I think that's when the pig presence 
increased and also there not being human presence on the beach allowed the pigs to run free reign basically so you know it could be 60 sort of thing yeah wow yeah Fuck. so, so these could have been like like three or four five decades of pigs just fucking running them up mm-hmm. essentially yep wow and it's unquantified like the flatbacks were only described in the 80s. They thought they were a green turtle. This is how new these species were. This is how remote these locations are. And to get you know any sort of monitoring program out there is, is a huge task. And so the first studies I did was with my ex-partner, and she actually did an um, honours project with that. So we teamed up with the uni. We got this guy, Brian, who was ex-military guy. He had the contacts. And we went out and we set up a ranger base at Napranam, out at Pennyfather River, just north of Weeper, a um, couple of hours north of Weeper. And, yeah, we set out every day on the quad bikes and we, we GPSed and counted every single nest. We ID'd the species and then we looked at the predation. So it's not just pigs that predate them, they're goannas, but that's a naturally occurring thing and they don't really take out that many, but they definitely have an impact. And there's also dingoes. So, yeah, once, um, once a predation starts, they just really have no hope. You know, the pigs know that there's a food source there and latest later research that we did actually found them moving only onto the beach during the nesting season so they knew exactly when the food was there for them it was their breeding season and uh, eggs are a high protein diet so it was just it was actually boosting the pig populations because they had more access to protein more than they generally would if they didn't have access to a nesting beach so man it was huge and um it took a few years for like you know the government to click on and the, and our reports to go back until it was really taken as a serious issue we did a lot of work on a, a number of different beaches and sort of grew it over the time and and it was a, a platform for a lot of the indigenous ranger groups up there which allowed them to get you know more training more monitoring and then and funding essentially so we could do more work out out in those those areas so it was, it was amazing times so I suppose positive results are there's been a lot of work done and I've moved away from it now, but now they call it the Nesta Ocean Program and the government actually announced $5 million to uh, continue this work with, with the ranger groups and they do their own aerial control, so shooting pigs. We do baiting programs, there's trapping programs and, and also nest protection, so putting mesh over the nests, which is a quite labor intensive if you can imagine and also building um barriers was was the latest sort of innovation was basically fencing off sections of the beach and then actively controlling in there so that at least if you can't protect the whole beach you're gonna have success over that nesting season for you know a section of the beach so really just to start boosting the population back up and the numbers we were seeing we sort of our aim was if we can get the predation down to 30% and we have 70% of those nests returning to the water, that'll be a successful viable population. But it wasn't looking good, but the numbers uh, are looking pretty good now. I just went to a conference, a climate change conference uh, earlier this year and one of the guys from CSIRO, who we used to work with up there, has done a lot of work. I was in the audience and he did a shout out, you know, to my early work and he used some of my data and they continued that and the, yeah, the results are super positive. That's yeah. awesome, and it's interesting that you mentioned before about reptiles and the temperatures of eggs. So because we're getting hotter sands, does that mean you're getting higher female numbers as well in terms of your temperatures? Because when the turtles are coming in, they're laying at certain times, and because you're getting higher temperatures, is that is that like an indication as well? It, is that something that's it, sort of happening, or is it sort of... 
it, it, not so much yet or it, it is um, it is a critical factor and what it is is it's not like it's proportional it's a little bit more technical than that but I'll try and break it down real simply so island beaches have less vegetation in them they're purer sand right the sand came comes straight off the coral so they're um, they're le- they're a cooler sand if you know what I mean they don't have like imagine a beach has creeks and rivers and it gets a lot of vegetation and you get dirtier sand browner sand more it's alluvial almost, yeah well yep. well you mm. get like um mm. like fertilizer in there yeah. and it insulates mm. it and it keeps yep. it quite warm mm-hmm. so uh, mainland beaches probably would would tend to get hotter and island beaches are are great and that's where the majority of turtles lay their eggs on the east coast and on the barrier reef also because it's out there and that's where the food source is for the east coast however it's the sea level rise right mm. it's not just temperature mm. it's a sea level rise so what we're actually going to depend on even though the bulk of turtles are nesting on islands and that's where a lot of the work is going on the land is where they that that's the last resource so you know sea level is going to rise those beaches will be gone and turtles will be forced to come back to the mainland yeah so it was a David Attenborough Barrier Reef one, and mm. on Rain day, and yeah, they had to go to an island and actually build it back up, put some sand back on the beach yep. because the turtles' nests were actually just getting washed away from, mm. or they didn't actually have like a good a good laying area because mm. the, the the eggs were actually getting wet. Yeah, because, inundation because, because the islands were getting washed away, mm-hmm. and so they had to like go and actually put some sand back in there to yep. f- for the for the turtle population. So mm. yeah, that's mm. one of the marine ranger programs and. Yeah, that's that's had a lot of focus in the last few years because Rain Island can get you know twenty thousand turtles laying in a year, you know that's a huge amount for the for the stock and the you know the population. So yeah, they've had massive program out there, bringing machinery, you know, excavators, and and farming sand basically and building the island back up. Yeah, it's pretty wild, hey. That really is for me. That's like a positive, you know, where where. I guess a lot of people think about, you know, that's environmental movement or what are these studies, what's it going to do, what's this information going to do, but it's really that fundamental of finding out what the problem is, mm-hmm. getting the numbers on it, and then actually executing and processing and implementing a, a strategy to improve it, and that's yep. really a, like a true in, indication of, of, of how human impact can actually positively affect natural populations, and by culling feral pigs and implementing a, a strategy... Mm-hmm that sort of multifaceted that's actually sort of in, increasing that population and that's an awesome story dude like yeah that's what i mean when you hear about that stuff it must make you feel good and to realize that we can actually have positive effects on our environment and not just be like you said be the victims or, or looking away from things and going oh there's nothing i can do about it well actually there is yeah on so many levels we talk about climate change you know we talk about the adani coal mine for example mm-hmm. and i was talking to my one of my uncle's last night at the wedding and him talking about it at the Adani coal mine. He's going, well, there's nothing we can do about it. And I said, well, there is something we can do about it. We can actually influence our politicians. We can, we can affect it by who we vote for. We can also lobby our politicians and let them know what we want. We can look towards renewable resources. Yep. Uh, we can look, look towards, you know, hydropower, solar power, wind power. Mm-hmm. So many things that are like infinite, literally, you know, the sun is almost infinite. Yep as opposed to a finite resource which is completely, you know, not going to be around another 100 years. There's a lot of things we can do to, to Im- implement change and to implement a different strategy, you know. Definitely. And so, so that human factor, yes, we've done a lot of damage mm-hmm. or, you know, our ancestors have done a lot of damage, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of opportunity for us to also change and, and, and affect and, and improve, you know. So that, you know, that story really instills a lot of faith in me, you know, and... 
and I actually did read an article the other day as well about the the culling of the pigs. Yep. And it actually having a positive influence, and it's actually sort of having a bit of an effect, you mm. know. So the strategy's working. Yeah, which is and there's, awesome. There's so many other species that are affected by feral pigs. Like we, obviously, the turtle nests was a very visible impact, and it was also, you know, uh, raised as a concern from traditional owners. You know that. The custodians of the land, that, you know, the First Nations people that have seen and, and knew, you know, eggs on the beach as, as a food source, you know, that's a cultural resource. And when they were going down to the beach and they weren't able to collect any eggs because every single nest was being hit by a pig, you know, that was sort of devastating culturally for those old people too because they wanted to show their kids and their grandkids, you know. And, and also it's sort of with people... The way we've changed because we, we're sort of moving more towards cities and communities and stuff. And even, you know, in this most remote place in the world, you know, it still operates like a, a modern sort of village or something where there's a hub and, and people are, are in town and they're sort of restricted to town, you know. So these programs, I think, not only were there conservation outcomes, but... The cultural, cultural outcomes, um, outcomes yeah. and be- benefits of so people. So the, the engagement with those stakeholders being mm. the indigenous landowners, yep. the original custodians is a positive effect as well, and it's giving mm-hmm. them meaning as well mm-hmm. to go back to the land and care for them and manage the land, which I think is equally as fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You know, that must give you a real sense of actually giving meaning back to, to the indigenous peoples of that land and, and mm-hmm. giving them... And that, that's, a, once again, a, a, an effective... The white man, you know, working with with the original custodians to to implement improvements and to try and create resolve, which is, once again, is awesome, you know. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, so it was like Western science and traditional knowledge coming together. That was our aim. And that's what we need to do, man. Like, more and more in, in our future, we need to go back and look at the way that the indigenous people managed Australia because they did a fucking beautiful job of, of maintaining a, a, essentially a perfect uh, environment. Mm. Um, and so we really need to go back and look at those strategies and start listening to the indigenous peoples of Australia and mm-hmm. engaging with those, with those landholders yep. and really looking at how we can improve our strategies, you know. And, and it's just more and more that's coming into the mainstream with permaculture, with, uh, with land management, with sustainable kind of awareness and... It's only going to get bigger and bigger and huger and huger. And I think your role in what you're doing is, is just going to become more and more front. And, you know, it's going to become the biggest thing. That is the biggest priority, the biggest necessity mm-hmm. of our time is going to be environmental kind of care and strategy. And I think the indigenous peoples of Australia have a massive part to play in that. Definitely. I'm just thinking then about the conversation I had with a long-term family friend and uh, Kuri lady who she told me one day you know I was speaking with her and she just said to me you know Aboriginal people will show us the way they will show us how we can live and work together in the most simplest form like that's all she said pretty much it was so raw and it just it it stuck with me you know and basically there's a a majestic connection you know to the land and an an intuitive nature that you know, cannot even be captured or described, but it's there, you feel it, you know? I think there's a PTSD that Indigenous persons of Australia and throughout the world are suffering from. And I think the history books, it's that same sort of thing where we've got to actually go back and look at, okay, well, ask the question, well, you know, why are people so upset? And I think 
a big part of it is is that we have this whitewashed history and we haven't acknowledged all of the fucking the terrible things that we did and even as as a you know like I'm a, a, a product of a convict you know the first McKay in Australia was a convict in Tasmania and there was like a bit of a, a, a history about him and written about him and stuff so I went back and sort of learnt about what he did and, and how he sort of you know landed and he was actually engaging with indigenous people and like he was tracking and he was going through and, and sort of helping map um, Australia and that's how he got released from from essentially from prison yep and he's talking about a lot of the living on the islands with with the with the indigenous peoples and and it really struck me because what happened right was he was he was engaging with with indigenous people that were working together to try and create peace with mm-hmm. the government trying to create peace with the with the indigenous people in Tasmania. Essentially, they were sort of trying to get them together and essentially put them on islands and that sort of thing. So remove them from, from their native areas and, and sort of essentially like they did, herd them up and put them in a certain spot and say, okay, this is your land now, essentially. And I, at first, I, I didn't want to read the story because I was scared that there was going to be some like some bad shit or he's yeah. going to be racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it actually, in his diary, there's notes of him just saying like, I've got so much utmost respect for these people. Mm-hmm. You know, he was talking about their traditional sort of cultures of, like, down there, they'd, they'd wake up in the morning, their missus would um, sort of rub them in, like, penguin fat, uh, and they'd sort of dress up. They'd put on, like, a lot of attire, and they'd, you know, they'd dress up, essentially, every morning. Yep. Then they'd go about their business. But he, he was like, i got a huge amount of respect. They've been so good to me. I've been so good to them. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, you know, made me feel good. But yeah. the, the, the problem with that whole thing was, was that, he got released from prison. He got granted land. Yep. The indigenous peoples that helped him, that tracked around with him, didn't get granted shit. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that's the fundamental difference of, of what happened back then and the things that... The benefits that, that we've ultimately, over generations, have, have benefited from was from that leg up. And, and from, from them being given nothing and us sort of being given that control over their land. And so we've got to go back and we've got to acknowledge that stuff mm. and we've got to work back from that and then start working forward. Instill a sense of pride back into the indigenous people and engage with them, mm. you know? And I think that's got to be the, the first stepping stone. And once I think that pride gets instilled back into the indigenous peoples of Australia, then we can move forward mm. in a way that's going to benefit our environment benefit our culture benefit our society mm-hmm. and there's just so many things that we can do to to improve our culture mm. the australian culture that's right and sort so of many... and amalgamate it but mm. you know there's a lot of work to be done but i feel like there's a real movement and there's a real push and, we're, and it's only going to continue to to happen i, yeah. I truly believe that mm. you know and once we start doing that we're gonna we're gonna see a better environment a better culture a better society a healthier culture and society like what you're doing and the, the procedures that you're engaging in is a great indication of that kind of success, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. So. Yeah, so it's a bit of a transition from working in the Cape because, you know, talking about land and, you know, Indigenous people and their culture, the work that I did on the Western Cape was on uh, Aboriginal freehold land. And the work that I do now is, is on... Uh, Parker State, but what we're moving into is what we call joint management. So the program is SIPAL, which is Cape York Peninsula Aboriginal Land. So effectively what it is, is recognising through the Native Title Act that these First Nations people, um, they're the custodians, the original people of this land, and effectively we are 
handing back the title of that land. So from a government land, like a national park, to a Saipau land. But there's still a joint management transition that occurs. Um, so I'm just getting used to that and trying to learn how to sort of work within this government framework because previously we were engaging with the Aboriginal council basically so it was their land they owned it outright basically freehold land you know they hold the title and so any work that we did there was pretty much you know at the will um and and the trust of the of the land trust basically so anything that we did had to go through the board um the board of directors and the land trust and you know, we, we were sort of welcome to that country because we, we were there on their land, effectively running conservation programs. And that really built the platform for Indigenous ranger um, groups. And, you know, in the 10 years that I've been working in that area, it's just exploded. You know, there are so many groups and smaller subgroups and recognition of smaller, you know, clan group land titles and, you know, individual ranger projects. So that's amazing. Whereas on the east coast and sort of back down you know in the rest of queens uh, or cape york we're sort of operating on land that was previously park but is now being handed back to you know the the tribes from those areas but there's still some rules that we need to abide by and so that's sort of what i'm working on now and it's uh, it is different um, you sort of breaking ground a lot you're sort of trying to figure out how it all works and yeah like definitely so you know this is all pretty new stuff some of the parks there you know they they've been running for a while but yeah the joint management agreement so you've got regulations and rules and that type of thing yeah so there's different tenor you've basically got what we call pink zone and yellow zone so pink zone is like aboriginal freehold you know you can do anything you can build houses you can run businesses that sort of thing whereas yellow zone is like a conservation zone so it, um it's sort of restricted more limited, on, more limited. it's more like a park right yeah yeah but yep. you can still access it for um you know hunting and gathering and you know, traditional um basically cultural you know activities so yeah it's a little bit different it's it's really interesting mm, mm. yeah nice one i guess we'll just sort of head off in a bit of a different direction for a minute I know you've just come back from a tour with um, with the with the boys from In the Element. Yep. I guess yeah. If you want to have a little chat about that, you're a musician, obviously. Yep. Play a lot of bass guitar. That's it. Did you got you had a good tour? You had a good time heading south. Where'd you go yeah. down to Byron Bay? Was it down to Byron? Yeah. yeah. How was it, man? It was awesome. So uh, interesting. You mentioned like Adani before. So the tour was actually to support Sun Salute, and they're from Ellie Beach. So they started as like a cover band. They got together for a few years and you know and then they started to play you know some originals now they they're all original band and we've done gigs with them in my previous band up at wallaby creek and stuff just met the crew super awesome crew and they released an album and the, the first single release was called no more and basically it was a stop adani protest and so they coming from early beach and knowing the traditional owners there they made a film clip and and a song yeah basically it was no more the message was you know, no more, basically. So with the release of that single and the film clip, they did an East Coast tour, and they asked us to be the support act, which is really cool. So we played in here in Port Douglas. We started here and then went right down, you know, Cairns, Ellie Beach, Sunny Coast, Brisbane, and Byron Bay. Those guys continued on to Melbourne, Victoria, 
we couldn't make that leg of the trip, you know, because work, commitments, everything, life. But yeah, it was amazing traveling with those guys and they always had a good message. They were basically, you know, sharing the message about the Adani coal mine and about some of the effects. But then there was also the music, you know, the amazing original, you know, reggae roots band and the young guys in the element that i've been playing with you know they're just super awesome you know they they got together when they were studying music at tafe and that sort of created the band and and um yeah i've played with them you know alongside them in other bands for for you know probably going back to 2014 15 so they're just an awesome bunch of guys you know so good crew good, good fun. crew yeah, good nice. fun yeah. just hanging out you know mm. You know, have a few beers, have a laugh, go out for, you know, always love to eat, you know, nice food. So if we can't go to a restaurant, we'll always, you know, if we're staying somewhere, we'll just go to the shops, get a big feed, make a mad veggie curry, just like cook-ups, you know, have a nice bit of wine and, yeah, just jam out. We're always jamming. There's always a guitar somewhere, writing new songs or making little film clips, you know. It's just Good super fun, fun. That's unreal. Yeah, and um, I I remember uh, it was a while ago now, I guess, mm-hmm. but I think it might even been when I was away, when I was over, overseas. I remember it was actually I think you were sitting in the backyard here, and you posted up a cool little song with your partner Katie, and I was blown out because I didn't know that she could sing. Yep. And you you were playing a bit of guitar, and it was just beautiful, dude. And I'm like, man, like you guys have got to do a bit more of that stuff. Yeah. Collaborations, maybe just post up some like live music or whatever, but. I was just like, dude, that's really cool. Have you guys been doing any more of that sort of thing? Any more yeah, so, composing um, any music or anything? We haven't really written any new stuff for a while. Um, we've both been super busy and um, Katie's, like I said before, she's doing her yoga teacher training. So that takes up her weekends, you know, Saturday, Sunday. So that's usually our time to jam. Like what we love to do is on a Friday night, you know, after work's finished, we'll, you know, sit back, have a few beers or wine and then just get out the instruments, you know, and just get creative. But what we've actually been doing is starting to play a few covers, which I've never done, really. I've always played original, original music, yeah, you know. Yeah, yep. But we we sort of, it's kind of like like a version, you know. You make your own, uh, you, te- you take your own take on a song. So we're trying to get a bit creative with doing covers, but in a different way. That's cool. Mm. A mate of mine, uh, I'll shout out to Reese Hepner. I remember he came out to, to my place one time, and we had the fire gun in the backyard, and... He was big on doing like um like like redoing hip hop songs, so you know he's he's like redoing um you know like Miss Jackson you yep. know by Outkast and shit, but like doing songs like that and I'm yeah. like dude that's really cool you know like you're just taking these songs that you're like oh what songs that and you're like oh yeah like those vocals just being redone yep and yeah you know it's like oh I don't want to do covers as a musician I don't want to do covers uh-huh. but I think for one it's cool to like do your own rendition of a song. For two, you know, as a musician, if you learn the people that you like their music, you learn their music, mm-hmm. and then that sort of can help you with your creativity into another sort of, to, to actually figure out something into another song, you know, that inspiration mm. can sort of take you somewhere else, you know? Definitely, mm. and and um, you know, I used to have this argument when I was, when I was in high school where... Um, it was basically the nature versus nurture argument. And, you know, I would say that if you got locked in a room and, you know, it, it's pretty it's pretty dark, but if you never had listened to music and you never had any influences, my argument was that you would still have your own 
song. You would, if you were able to produce music in any form, that you would have your own rhythm well, instinctively. I, yeah, I always, yeah? I always contemplated that too, man. That's something that I always thought about. And then I read a room, a room full of mirrors by uh, Jimi Hendrix's biography. Yep. And a big part of his making music was, you know, a lot of lot of comedians, a lot of people. They have daddy issues. That sort of shit. His dad used to kick the shit out of him. He he um he's a left-handed, but his his dad had like literally beat him up if he if he got caught playing the guitar. So he'd be able to flip the guitar around to play left and right-handed mm-hmm. because otherwise daddy had beat him up, sort yep. of thing. You know, uh, he had a really fucking tough upbringing. Mm-hmm. So he'd wag school and he'd go and down the street and there's all these blues masters that he'd go and hang out with. So I always thought that he was just naturally talented. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, he had long fingers. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, he, he probably had natural talent, but a huge part of it was also... Um, the influence. The, the nature yep. um, and the, the nurture, yep. or, or the lack of nurture, that yep. actually, yep. In, in a lot of those instances. Mm-hmm. So you're right, it's definitely a combination. Yep. But after reading that book, it really kind of led me more towards the fact that his, his sort of mistreatment and his... That the, the really challenging life that he came up in, and the way that his dad essentially, like, you know, the same as Michael Jackson, and, yeah. you know, the way that those people are really sort of um, treated poorly, mm-hmm. kind of really forces them. Like, music is their only thing, yep. you know. Yep. It's the only thing, and it's an interesting question that you that you pose, and it's always something that I always have contemplated too, you know. Yep. Mm. And I mm. so I always used to not like to listen to music because. I thought it was influence. It would influence me in a certain way, right? You're gonna, it, whatever you're absorbing and hearing, you, you'll you'll replicate that. And I've really flipped 180 degrees. Like now, I'm I just soak it up. And actually, a lot of artists will openly admit that, you know, some of their best stuff comes from being influenced from Absolutely. artists that they like, you know. Yeah. And I listen to a, mm. a huge variety of music, you know, and. Uh, yeah, so the genres don't really influence so much my style, but I definitely, it's sort of like, the way, I, the way I like to explain it is I'm kind of like mixing. So I will take samples of different artists and then chop them up into like a breakbeat sort of style, but in the acoustic version way, you know, I take a little lick here, a little, you know, a little chop there, and then, you know, some rhythm patterns, and then Basically, you can chop them up to make your own mix. Like, it's your music, but it's definitely influenced, you know? Absolutely. I know even, like, John Frusciante, one of my, you know, my favorite musicians of all time, and, you know, he would talk about, like, music for him is sort of like work, you know, where he would sit at home all day and learn, like, an orchestral piece, a classical piece, or, you know, he's amazing, sort of, he could read music, so he'd be just constantly inputting, 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 inputting information, but then you'll go and create music after that. So it's almost like he'd spend eight hours a day learning new music and, and reciting music and playing music. And then, so you're constantly working on the art. And, yep. you know, like any art, you've got to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be a good musician, you've got to do the work. If you want to be a good carpenter, if you want to be anything, anything yep. that is great, you've got to put in the hours, you yep. know. That's and they it. reckon it's like 10,000 hours, you know, you've got to put in that time mm. and work at it and, yep. and, and sort of. It's, it's cool, too, about what you're saying about the 180 degrees different direction. Because mm. I think if you're really having a crack at life, life will generally tend to do that to you. The universe will generally tell you, you to go, oh, I, I'm solid, I firmly believe this. Mm-hmm. But then life will just spin you around and send you off in the other direction yep. a bit, you know. And, it's really and humbling. And challenge you, and yeah, 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 and give you different pers- perspectives, and, yep. you know. 
and I think if you're challenging yourself, then then that should be the that should be the the outcome. You know, is to to, to come out with a different perspective or a, a changed view than six months ago, twelve months ago, two years ago. That's you know? it. Like one of my favorite Gandhi quotes was, uh, "Mark me not for my words today, because tomorrow I will change." Absolutely, it's dude. Like, I mean, we're floating through space. The sun's moving. We're spinning mm-hmm. around the sun. Everything in a constant state of movement. So yeah. to sort of perceive yourself as this fixed state is a truly ridiculous notion. Mm. I mean, we are constantly moving and changing and shifting. And contradicting ourselves. And dude, like, know? I'm a way better person than I was six months ago, 12 months ago, and I hope to be a better person mm-hmm. than I am now in another six, 12 months, you know. And, yeah. and it should be a constant state of change, and you should be constantly challenging yourself. And if you're in a fixed state of mind, then... I feel sorry for you. Yeah. You know, if you go, oh, I'm not changing or whatever, it's mm. like, fuck it, let it go. Yeah. Whatever. If, if you fucking drink too much beer and mm-hmm. or, or whatever, oh, I'm never going to change. Like, yeah, yeah. fuck. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, as a... And I mean, that's what this podcast is about a lot, is talking to people that inspire me, mm-hmm. talking to people that are doing cool shit and, and going, well, how did you do it? What's yeah. what's your process? Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you get to where you're at, you know? Yeah. And, I hope to sit down with you again in five years and we do another one and we go, yep. okay, well, well, what's happened now? And yep. be able to share some of your new music or yep. have a discussion about some of the new things that you've implemented with climate change or, or you know, engagement with indigenous stakeholders, so on and so forth. And <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's all good shit, you know what I mean? Definitely, bro. Yeah, so that's really cool, man. I don't have a lot of time today because yep. I've got a boost. I've got my cousins racing on the speedway. Yep, and um, I'm gonna take the little fella down to the speedway because I remember nice. going when I was like a little kid, man. And yeah, some the of the funny shit, man. Getting oh, sprayed dude. with dirt. Yeah, dirt. <laughs> shit. yeah, he's got a sprint car, so I'm so I'm yeah. just frothing. So yep, I'm gonna head off soon, man. But I remember like it was a I don't know maybe ten years ago or something now. But like I remember meeting you back in the day. We ended up sort of becoming mates pretty pretty immediately. Yep, a pretty funny story, but maybe we'll save that one for another time. Yep. We say so we we became mates, and I remember you coming out and telling us a story about your travels. And I know you got some mad travel stories, some of the best travel stories I've ever heard, man. Can you tell me a little bit about your Canadian travels, and specifically about the limousine? Because <laughs> that's a rad story, man. Yeah, aka the Black Beast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was basically working, you know, professional career. I was sort of in my, you know mid-twenties and yeah I dedicated my life to sort of my work and I, and I really hit a point where I was like I need to do some travel I need to break free I'd just broken up with a long-term girlfriend you know I'd been spending a lot of time remote and uh, I just felt like I was sort of missing out on life a bit even though I was doing amazing things you know just my own life so I saved up and at the same time I met this group of girls that were really awesome and we, we were like a little rainbow family so they were like four four girls and myself, and yeah, I applied for my working holiday visa, um, which was two years at the time, and I had no plans really. We were gonna do a bit of tourism, you know, touristy stuff for the first month, and then just find a job. So, bought a ticket over there, like a, a an open ticket, and headed across to Canada with the girls, you know, and that was pretty mad traveling. You know, we just did did all the touristy things and. You know, we ended up in New York at a Rihanna concert, which was amazing. Like, I, I wasn't going to go, and but they bought a, me a ticket anyway, and it was just the 
freaking sickest concert I've ever been to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, dude, I didn't know that, man. <laughs> yeah. A Rihanna concert. Rihanna was concert. Super fun, was it? Yep. So yep. she had a mad stage presence, oh, eh? Yeah. Bro, like the mm. costumes, mm. the changes, like mm. she had this revolving stage that came down through, like it like it, every time it would go down below the stage, it would pop up and there was like Harleys and Cadillacs and shit. and shit, you know, whips and chains and... And then they put her on this apparatus where she was like flying through the air of the stadium and playing drums, standing up, like harnessed to this thing on cables. It was like zip lines, man, but she was going like all over the place. LA sort of shit. Yeah, it was uh, next level, man. And just the dancers, the caliber of the performance was amazing, you know, and just the energy there. And, and then like just to wrap it off was like heading back to our hotel and in the car park we came across this cat fight you know and there was these two girls just going at each other like you're a home wrecker and i'm just like oh man i'm in i'm in north america this is freaking hilarious yeah so there was all of that and part of the so part of the plan the reason why i mentioned the rainbow family and the girls was our plan was to get a, a school bus paint it rainbow colors and start driving across canada you know just do a road trip like proper you know, like mission, adventure. adventure. Yeah. Mm. And that didn't quite happen. And, you know, the girls had to go back. A couple of them have been, have been traveling through South America for nine months. So they were pretty ready to go home. And, and the other two girls, like, needed to get back. And so they left and I continued on. And I, I, I was like, do I buy a van? I needed some transport. And my mates were actually in North America at the time. And I was supposed to meet up with them, but the timing didn't work. And they bought this limo for like two and a half grand off their mate. And they drove uh, around America for three months. So we met up in Vancouver and they were leaving and I just arrived. And my mate's like, do you want to buy the limo? And I'm like, uh, you know, how much? And he's like, oh, a grand and a half. I'm like, fuck, that's pretty cheap, you know. I couldn't find any vans for that much. And I was like, oh... Yeah, I was kind of, you know, oh, how convenient is a limo going to be, you know, a stretched limo, it takes up two parks, I'm like, is it really a smart idea, you know, this is my logical mind thinking. And, and what was it, like a like a 90s or 80s It was limo? a 94 Lincoln Town Car, so it was a big old V8. Yeah, and anyway, my mate said, oh, this other guy wants to buy it, but he's fucking us around, so if, you know, give me a thousand bucks and it's yours. The only condition is when you transfer the money, you got to write limo in the bank statement. So I was like, sweet, done. So we're sitting at the backpackers where I was staying, and I transferred the money, and he threw me the keys, and he's just like, I'm so glad that it's staying in the family. Like, I want to hear all the stories, you know? So this is, yeah, night one in the in the backpackers, and I'm like, holy shit, I just bought a limo. So I'm like, well, we've got to go cruising, you know? So I met this, like, German fella and this Austrian guy. I think he was Austrian, I don't know. And we went down to the marina, and we're, like, you know, just sitting there having a couple of beers. And this German guy was, like, you know, young entrepreneur. He was, like, businessman. He's like, dude, we're going to start, you know, doing trips. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll hire it out. We'll do, like, you know, you know, I'll be your driver and shit. And I'm just, like, going, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever sort of thing. And just soaking it all in. Next minute, this bunch of girls roll up, like fucking 12 girls, man, with like balloons and shit, and they're all pissed. And they're like, hey, and they're trying to get in the limo, and like, how much? How much is it to hire a limo? And they're all like international students, you know? Age is sort of between 18 and 25, and we're like, fuck. And I'm like, sorry, girls, you know, it's not for hire, but, um, you know, jump in, get a photo, it's all cool. 
And I, I grabbed the bottle of wine from the back. Like my mates left all this wine and shit in there. And, uh, and was there still there was still the crystal like glasses and like all the crystal wearing shit yeah, was still man. in this, this thing, was dude. Proper Eddie Murphy what a trip, shit, dude. Man. Like you imagine yeah. the man of like shit that had already happened, like the stories this limo oh. could tell, bruh. Bro. Like yeah. crazy, man. Mm. Like that thing's probably just seeing some shit. Seeing some bruh. shit, bro. Yeah. And um it was proper styling, like, you know. And anyway, so uh, I grabbed I get, gave the birthday girl a bottle of wine and she's like, Oh, thank you so much. And then I was like, fuck it, let's go for a cruise. So jump in. We had like 13 people in this limo, man. It's only got nine seats, but we're like, hell yeah. So we're cruising over like the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver, and there's like three girls out the sunroof, and just like, woo! You know, it was just such a hoot, man. It was so much fun. And then we exchanged numbers, and then for the next few months while I was living in Vancouver, I just kept getting all these calls from these girls like, my cousin's coming, can you pick her up from the airport, like, I'll pay you, you know, that was so much fun, and then was another one's like, oh, my sister's here, and we just want to party, you know. So you were almost like Uber before Uber type yeah, thing. Yeah, bro. Just like naturally. Legit, because <laughs> this guy wanted to get a license and everything, and it was going to cost three grand, like three and a half grand. I'm like, bro, this thing cost me a thousand bucks. I'm not going to spend that, and it's not probably barely legal, like roadworthy, you know. I'm like, let's just have a bit of fun. So pretty much... Um, and it had like eskies in, in, in it and everything. So we'd go, just go buy booze. I'd always make sure I'd fill up with people in the car. So I never paid for fuel, never paid for booze. And just drove around the city and like got wasted. And what your German mate was driving. Yeah. So you're almost like the host just cruising yeah, yeah. Like, I, used to, I used to pay him 20 bucks, man, for a night. <laughs> oh, that's epic, yeah. dude. So he'd go around and have a mad time. Yeah, he loved it because yeah, he wasn't really a big drinker, you know. Stay sober, probably pick up or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's unreal, dude. And, and um, so the funniest one was was um, when he's like, we're both there and we're like, we look pretty ratty. And he's like, we've got to get a haircut. We're parked outside this barber shop. It was like a real swanky, like downtown, like, you know, hipster barber shop. And I'm like, bro, there's no way. He's like, we'll swap a limo ride for this, for a haircut. And um, I was like, well, you got the gift of the gab, so I'm not Leave gonna... it with you. Yeah, I'll leave it with you. <laughs> and so he walks in, he walks back out, and he's like, yeah, man, um, so we've got an appointment tomorrow at 5.30. All we got to do is give his mate a lift home. And I was like, sweet. So we drove his mate home, and then sure enough, both went in there, like, proper full deal, you know? Like, he closed up the shop and just, you know, cut both our hairs. And then we exchanged numbers, and he's like, bro... Uh, my girlfriend's coming to town in a couple of weeks and I really just want to like take her out for a nice dinner or anything you know like you know are you for hire and I'm like sure man that's yeah. like, fuck yeah I'll hook fuck you yeah, up bro, yeah. so um, just that, that, I love that like exchange of, of mm. like no money changing hands like mm. people just hooking each other up yeah that's awesome dude yeah it was so sick and um so I rang him up like before the thing and said what what is your missus drink you know what's her favorite drop got that all sorted you know took them on like my favorite tour of vancouver like up to the dam you know did the romantic thing dropped them off for dinner and all this and he was so thankful man he just shook my hand like gave me a hundred dollar bill and was like that was the sickest night ever like awesome <laughs> yeah, just rad time man yeah that's epic dude but yeah it was a bit of a party mobile and then i ended up doing trips to like uh ski fields you know the snow fields and i just put it on like craigslist which is like gumtree like a ride share yeah, kind yeah. of thing like mm. i'm heading there and and we just do trips back and forth yeah like, so just paid for your snow trips and oh, just man. having a bad time yeah dude that's like i just that's such a fucking epic travel story man and yeah oh, i just love it dude 
So yeah, you obviously ended up getting rid of the, getting rid of the the rig and making your way down to Mexico. Yeah, and, I sort um, of had mm. to leave the country on short notice. We partied a bit too hard in Whistler and. I think we drew a bit of attention from the police and we got pulled over one day by the highway patrol and they basically just did Chased a number. Chased you out of town. Yeah. <laughs> he towed, he seized my plates, mm. towed the vehicle, mm. you know, basically impounded it and it was going to cost me so much. The to, fun police. Yeah, the fun like, police. Like you, dude, like, yeah. you're having way too much fun. Yeah. Yep. And um, so <laughs> the tow, tow truck driver was really awesome and he said, look, this guy's an ass. He's, he's just taken six people off the road today. And he said, I know a mechanic who's legit, you know, I'll drop the limo off there. We'll get an inspection. We'll see how we go. And he, he went through and basically told me that what the cops said was a lie. He was just, you know, he didn't know what he was talking about. And, but anyway, because he ticked the box like defected vehicle, I would have had to get re-registered and, and I'd have to get a few things. I just didn't have the money at the time. So the mechanic said, what are you going to do with it? And I, you know, I, I said, well, I'll try and sell it. And he's like, it's going to be a bit hard without uh, Roadworthy. And he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks. And I was like, sweet, man, I bought it for a grand. There you go, 500 bucks, good times. Bought a ticket to Mexico and then, yeah, just, just rolled out. Yeah, man, and so you made your way down to Max. Another fucking rad story that I just really enjoyed, man. You ended up getting bombed by a fucking... You ended up getting jacked by a hurricane. Yeah, man, Hurricane Carlotta. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's have a little chat about that, Oh, man. bro, so um, where were we? I think it was Puerto Escondido. That was mad little surfer town, So you that's know? down on the Pacific side, Oaxaca. Yep. yep. Fucking beautiful. Beautiful, man. Part of the world, yeah. Yeah. And awesome waves. And awesome good, waves. Good food. Yeah, yeah good mm-hmm. food. Like, really small, little, close-knit community. Big Fucking surf culture waves, there. Dude, there Massive man. waves. Mm-hmm. There was, like, a nice little bay near where we were staying, which was, like, a more protected, like, rolling longboard sort of session. Mm-hmm. But I got pumped on the beach because they were, like, short and gnarly, man. Some dude, days... Autos, it's whack, dude. Like it's 15, 20 foot. Like, it'll hold, like, massive swell. Man, probably mm-hmm. the closest... Um, closest thing to dying pretty much um getting chopped around in those conditions is like you don't want to mess around with that but yeah so and and particularly i didn't know at the time because we were at backpackers and we weren't watching tv there's a freaking hurricane coming and all the local guys were like man the surf's gonna be epic let's go down to the beach and something just twigged everyone was acting a bit weird and we went to the shops and like there was literally nothing on the shelves and people started to like get in this panic zone so I said to my girlfriend, like, at the time, I'm like, something's going on. We need to find out. We read the, uh, we, we got onto the internet and we saw that on the American news that there was a hurricane coming directly for us. So I was like, shit, you know, just get as much shit as you can, like fresh water. You know, like we grew up here with cyclones, man. You yeah, know that. but Mexico is different because there's no cyclone rating. No. On the houses and shit. No, that's right. So it's like, all, all no like wherever you go, it's sort of be hard to fucking like get out of that shit yeah. in, a, in a big wind, you know? Yep. You know, here, you know that you might be out of power and shit for a week, you know, so you stock up, you get prepared. So I got full military mode. I'm like, you know, getting as much stores and stuff as I could and telling everyone at the backpackers, like, go and get supplies. We're going to bunker down. And the backpackers was like, 
literally with these little bungalows. Little palapas, yeah, yeah. Just like tiny little tiny little grass dirt, hat like grass shit. hat shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, we cannot stay in our rooms. It's like, everyone get your shit, get your mattresses, and we'll go into the main building. The manager just left. He just took off and abandoned us. But this place was like two stories, and it was pretty solid. Like brick had a proper roof and like bars on the windows. I'm like, this is perfect. Let's get to the second floor so we're not in a flood zone. Everyone bunker in, you know, got candles and shit. And anyway, yeah, that night, it fucking hit us hard, man. Like, there was... People were crying and shit. They didn't know. They'd never experienced that. The shit would have been getting jacked, too, dude. Oh, like, man. shit just would have been flying left, right, and center, Roofs dude. and <laughs> fucking shit was... And everything was cracking and popping. And, like, this massive tree out the front. I've never seen a tree with a root ball so big just tumbled and just completely blocked the road. So... Man, it was just... It. We woke up the next day. The place was trashed. Like, there was rubbish in the swimming pool. It was all, like, muddy and shit. The whole place was just... Because there, there was people from all over the world. Yeah, there would have yep. been people, like, Pommies Americans and, and Americans. Like, people just would have had no, no idea. No idea. Like, yeah. Just losing it. They're losing it. Even the Aussie guy thought he'd be cool, man, this young Aussie sailor mm. and his miso. But mm. they were from down south. Yeah, they never experienced yeah, a cyclone. Know, man. But there's also that frenzy, too. Of everyone else freaking out, so everybody starts freaking out. Where you're like, hmm, maybe we should have evacuated. You know, yeah. like maybe we should have left town. Yeah, yeah, and you but mm. um, yeah, so we were stuck there. No buses mm. were operating. All you couldn't even get out of the roads. Like shit was just hectic. You know, mm. so we bunkered down. We're like, we're stuck here, and the manager was nowhere to be seen. So there was an American guy who was sort of running the bar. He basically he. He just cracked open the bar and he was like, look, let's just drink the beer while it's cold. You know, fuck this guy. He's just left us. Was it Basically like a, a Mexican dude here. or like a... No, he was, he was a uh, white fellow, like an English guy mm. who married mm. a Mexican lady. Yeah. So yeah. what he actually did was went back to his wife's village to make sure they were all cool. Mm. But he didn't even let us know that there was a hurricane coming, mm. you know. So mm. this guy got the shits with him. So we just had a bender, man. He literally opened the bar... Once we drank all the beer, because that was the first thing to go, you know, while the fridges were cool, we just smashed them. And then we were making up these cocktails. We called them Hurricane Carlotta's. And we just basically got a jug each, and it was like a nip of every spirit behind the bar, and like a splash of juice. Just rocket fuel there. Got freaking legless, man. It was a three day bender until the manager rolled up, and he's like, What the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> and we were like, You know. In a couple of sober hours during the day, we'd like clean up. You know, we fully cleaned up the whole place, and we mm. had to do a little bit in yeah. return. But mm. we did drink all the booze. But um, he was just wild, and we're like, well, "Dude, we... you fucking bailed, cunt!" Like, yeah, you bailed. And this is mutiny, cunt. Yeah. <laughs> and this American guy was having to go. He's like, "You just fucking left us. You didn't tell us anything." And he's like, "You're fired." And he's like, "I fucking quit." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and just walked out. Oh yeah. So we're it. like. Shit, well, we better go. <laughs> See and, you, bro. Yeah, and he's like, then he starts hitting us up for money, like, mm. you owe me money mm. for this. And mm. we're like, nah, bro, yeah. you left us, man. You're mm. out. You're yeah. out. So, yeah, that was that story, man. It was mm. pretty wild. Yeah, dude. It took us a little while to get out of there. Yeah, fun times. Yeah, no, I love it, man. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, Mexico is such a fun joint, man. And mm. even at, at the best of times, even when there's not that kind of insanity, there's always that element of like, Mexico, man, it's like yeah. the Wild West, dude. You Definitely. know, it's like the lawlessness of it, it's mm. and just the the rawness of it is it's very alluring. It's a fun place, man. Yep. And even like you know, I guess at different times in Western society, we kind of we we tend to like sort of get obsessed with certain cultures. Like at one point, it was like Japanese culture, and it's Japanese food, and it's like mm. Japanese 
style and traditional mm. yep. artwork and shit, you know. And in recent years, it's been like Mexican food and Mexican styles and Mexican design and the candy skull tattoos and, yep. you know. But um, I think when you get there, man, like it's it's definitely... I think it gets a bad rap. A lot of people are like, oh my God, America's so dangerous. Oh, sorry, mm. Mexico's so mm. dangerous. Don't go to Mexico. Yeah. You know, it's funny, but when you're in Mexico, mm. the Mexicans are like, man, I would. why would you go to USA? There's so many school shootings. There's mm. so much like gang violence, so many people yep. getting murdered. Yep. So it's just like this, you know, everywhere's got its own sort of vibe, but I, yeah. I just, I'm a big fan of, of Max. It's got a big place in my heart. And I, I think for the rest of my life, I'm going to be, spending time there and, and sort of yeah just just enjoying that culture man mm. i really love it you so know? beautiful man and people so mm. welcoming and friendly mm. like i only had good experiences there like you hear some horror stories and that's you know that's anywhere in the world it man. happens everywhere. everywhere i think i think in mexico it's just like oh mexico mm. you know but like fuck man people get murdered here all the time you yeah. know you read shit in the paper about people getting mistreated and Mm. fucking raped and, and like people mm. taking advantage of from like farm stays and shit here yeah and it's like oh but it's australia it's mostly safe yeah mexico is the same dude the, the amount of time that tourists it's it's relative it's yeah. just like but it's mexico you mm. know it's like uh, you know yeah that's it and mm. i think you know um you know keep your wits about you be street smart but also be real mm. you know if you're if if you're a real person, like people, mm. you, you give what you get, you know. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I think, I think if yeah. you're out there showboating and mm. you're, you're cruising around and you're, you know, wearing a fucking bling watch and shit, mm. it's just like you get cut down to size yep. and just made humble immediately, mm. you know. If, yep. you're, if you're humble, you treat people with respect. I think there's always that reverberation. And Mexico City, dude, is my fucking favorite city on the planet Unreal, Earth, dude. Man. Yeah. Just such good street food, like the um, Museum of history of anthropology in mexico city dude did you did you go there dude yeah man oh brah and fucking and, incredible man yeah such a big city so Just many the things Aztec too. culture the mexico culture like all yeah. the different sort of indigenous tribes and mm. i guess a lot of the artifacts and stuff like that and the yep. pyramids and just a, a very rich and and varying culture yeah yep. of the pre-hispanic culture is just a pretty incredible story very deep very much um involved with with the spirit world, with the mm. cosmos, psychoactive plant medicines, that yep. sort of thing. I did a good podcast with Dr. Abram Flores. Yep. He's an actual scientific anesthetist doctor, but he's also very much explored into like the native plant medicines and stuff yep. as well. Yeah. So he's got that real foundation of, of scientific sort of assessment, mm -hmm. but also, you know, there's that cosmo vision of that he's interested in. And, and there's yep. very much, it's very much alive still mm. is the cosmo vision in a lot of the cultures yep. of the Azteca, Mexica sort of culture mm -hmm. is still around. There's a lot of practicing in the design, in the artwork, in the creativity yep. of Mexico, which is cool. You yep. know, it's, it's still there and it's still very much alive, you know? Yeah. And what I loved about Mexico City is even though it's a huge city with one of the biggest populations, you don't actually have to, it doesn't take you long to get out of the city and experience some of this, this culture, you know? The pyramids. Um, the pyramids mm. and, you know, this mm. Aztec Just outside culture. of Max City. Yeah, yeah. it's mm. amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, buzzed on that. I've got to go back. Yeah, dude. Mm. And it's, yeah, every little area is, is, I don't know, it's just got a different vibe and, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And it's, I mean, it's a huge country. There's mm. plenty of different places that you can travel to. Yep. But I'd really like to go and check out um, Chiapas, which yep, is yep. where the Zapatistas, mm -hmm. you know, um, Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine talks a lot about, 
you know, um, the Zapatistas and, and that culture and, and that movement, which, we're go- which takes us back to like freedom fighting, mm-hmm. permaculture, a mm-hmm. way of life that mm-hmm. is sustainable. It's like it's once again a huge part of, of their culture to take care of the land and to, I don't know, I just think that, it's, that, that there's so much to be learnt from, from indigenous cultures all over the world. Definitely. And a big part of, you know, the, the, the psychoactive movement even all the way back down in Oaxaca, uh, I forget the name of the lady, Maria, da da da, but she was the one who introduced the mushrooms to the Beatles and to the, you know, magic mushrooms to a lot of uh, the musicians of that time. It yep. influenced our culture greatly with this amazing music. You know, ayahuasca and, and DMT and all those things have been now being treated for depression, yep. for PTSD. You know, yep. there's just there's such an affinity and a connection with nature mm. that, that I feel as though that we're getting back to mm-hmm. and that we're, we have to sort of reverberate. Through science, we've kind of, we've segued, we've kind of mm. separated ourselves from nature so much that we live in houses, mm. that we, you know, have controlled environments that mm. we really need to get back and observe nature and engage with nature. Mm-hmm. And I think indigenous cultures teach us that. You know? Definitely. That's been a great little powerful hour of power. Yeah, nice. That we've had. If there's any sort of young person that you can sort of leave a bit of information with, or is there anything else that you sort of want to lay out on the table before we wrap this bitch up? Oh, man, that's a tricky one. I've been going through a fair bit of uh, evolution myself just recently, you know, and um, different phase of life, you know. And, yeah, I think uh, I'm not going to try and impart any words of wisdom. You know, I think our own our journey is our own to travel and the most fun is getting out there and doing it yourself you know and paving the way you know just know that yeah there is universal love we can tap into that you know there is you know there is something out there watching you so yeah if anyone ever feels down just know that you know your brother's got your back your sister's got your back your family is bigger than your bloodline and yeah we're all here to look out for each other and and just have a great experience on this beautiful planet there is true wisdom in that man it is about getting out there and exploring and the individual adventure or the individual there is a lot of pressure to try and exist within a social norm Mm. but i think the more that you try and exist in the social norm the more you remove yourself as the individual from finding joy and pleasure in certain things and especially with social media like you said you just deleted facebook yep we get so trapped in these sort of political social kind of wormholes mm. that you do lose sense of your individual perception belief yep and then try and and you get get it a little bit brainwashed about yeah. about what actually is the right thing uh-huh. what actually is is your purpose your path and so yeah, yeah man absolutely get out there and have a crack fucking travel Man, like you're definitely an inspiration to me. You inspire me to get out there and travel, play music, uh, engage with the environment. You know, learn about nature, learn about indigenous cultures. Yeah, I really appreciate sitting down with you, man. I look forward to sitting down with you again in, um, in you know, another twelve months, couple years. You know. Yep. No, that'd be sick. Cool, bro. Thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it, bro. Cheers, Thank you. Bro.
got too much You never gave up With true sense of words Your actions spoke louder Than outspoken words We laughed and we cried Found courage through fears Cast shadows and shined All these years Well I can't see in a moment that feels so profound the difference in living and being alive some get more from giving some take to survive one word of wisdom we thought from the heart found ourselves back at the start well I Shadows and shine all 